and went through school, always wanted to be a doctor. I literally changed my idea to be a doctor one month before graduating. I was in Mexico, in Puerto Vallarta, laying on the beach, and I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a teacher. But in re reality, I was teaching my entire life. I had been teaching my brother English. Like I remember grabbing my parents' English books, going over that. And then also tutoring in the high school and any new immigrant, because we have a lot of migrants in our area that come for farming. And so anytime there was someone new in our classroom that didn't know English, the teachers always said, Esther, can you help? And I gladly always helped. Like that was for me, sure, of course. Hello, friend, and welcome back to another episode of Do I Need School to Be? The podcast in which me, Alex, is going to sit down with creatives and ask them about their journey into the creative field, focusing on their education, the teachers who shaped them, the books who shaped them, the movies, in general, what their journey was like. If you're somebody who is thinking about entering the creative field, I hope this show will be a resource to you and show you that we all have different paths and they are all valid. So let's go. Real quick, sorry for the echo on my side. I was in an empty room and that caused a lot of echo. But that said, in this week's episode, I'm talking to Esther Siganda, who is a language teacher. She's a fellow podcaster. She is a traveler, an athlete, a fellow entrepreneur, the world's best aunt, apparently. She's all the things and more. And I'm so happy to bring you this conversation because she is really my exact definition of a great teacher. But enough of my babble and let's get to the conversation with Esther Siganda. And here we are. Good morning, Esther. How are you today? Fine, thanks. Good morning to you, Alex. How are you? I'm, I'm very good. Hearing the beautiful Rotterdam, hoping that the construction work next to me is not going to start like banging or making a lot of noise. Uh, yeah. Where are you right now? What are you up to? Mm -hmm. I'm in Indaya, France, so south of you. And today it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sunny day. And I'm so excited because after we're done, I'm going to be heading to the beach. And I don't know in your neck of the woods, but down here, coastal, it's been cloudy for almost a month. So I'm really looking forward to it. And other than that, podcasting with you today. That's what I'm up to. So you're enjoying life 100%. Yes, 100%. I've got work to do later today, but I also have to make time for myself, which is really important. We finished my school year officially finished last Monday on June. What was it? 27th or so. So I just barely finished school. That's awesome. And it's so important to carve out time for yourself and be like, how am I going to make myself feel alive today? Like step out of work and step out of obligations to just like feel alive and exist calmly in the world. Mm -hmm, exactly. So, let's begin. Uh, please tell the audience who you are and what you're currently working on. All right. I'm Esther Siganda. And as we discussed, I'm living in Indaya, France, but I'm originally born and raised in Moses Lake, Washington. And my parents are both immigrants. They are from Navarra, Spain, from the Basque country. And they both immigrated to the United States. And that's where I was born. So for me, all, a lot of my perspective, a lot of my values in life are because of these immigrant parents and who I, you know, empathize with, who I want to help out always. So that's where I was raised. First language is Spanish. I learned English in school, blah, 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 blah. And went through school, always wanted to be a doctor. I literally changed my idea to be a doctor one month before graduating. I was in Mexico, in Puerto Vallarta, laying on the beach. And I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a teacher. 
But in re reality, I was teaching my entire life. I had been teaching my brother English. Like I remember grabbing my parents' English books, going over that. And then also tutoring in the high school and any new immigrant, because we have a lot of migrants in our area that come for farming. And so anytime there was someone new in our classroom that didn't know English, the teachers always said, Esther, can you help? And I gladly always helped. Like that was for me. Sure, of course. And I've always loved that. And then, so I didn't realize I wanted to be a teacher because I really wanted, my ideal is I wanted to help people and teaching is helping people as well. So like I said, one month before graduating, that's what I did. And I was still you know, science, my degrees are in biology and chemistry and Spanish. So that's what I ended up doing is teaching for 16 years in the States, those. But I always had this long, this childhood dream that I wanted to come back to the country of my parents, which is to come live over here in Europe. And I had wanted to do that when I student taught and I didn't do it. So I started playing Pelota Vasca when I moved to Boise, Idaho to teach. And I decided, I said, when I turn 40. I'm sorry, I, I need to pause you on that. You started playing Pelota Vasca in Boise, Idaho? Yes. How? How? Well, it, it, oh, I'm so you... confused. And I am yes. sure people will be like, what? How? Yes. And in Mexico, if anyone listens to Mexico, they are familiar with Pelota Vasca, you know, and in the eastern United States. So we have a huge bass population in the state of Idaho. There is over 5,000 from one of the autonomous you know, one of the provinces, which is Biscaya, living there alone. And in the Western United States, there's a lot of immigrants that came for sheep herding and working there. So California, you have a lot, Nevada, Utah, Oregon, Washington, and even up into Canada. And then throughout the United States, there's pockets. But in Boise, there's a huge population. And there's also a fronton, which many people in Boise don't even know exists because it's literally downtown Boise and it's built underground. And it was designed that way for the sheep herders. Above, they set up all the beds, the bunk beds. That's where they would sleep when they'd come down from the mountain for a while. And then they needed something, some recreation. Well, they built them a court and it's underground. Right in the middle, literally, of downtown Boise. So that's how that came to be. I went from teaching eight years in my hometown to a second little dream. If I can't come to Europe to teach, I'll go to Boise. And the route took me there. You know, life takes you where it needs to be. I think life really puts you where you need to be. And ultimately, the story of my life is I wanted to be here, but I also had always wanted to play the sport. And by going to Boise, that opportunity came up to me. I took it and I started playing the sport and it took me to playing worldwide. Like I started playing internationally, playing in Argentina, in Mexico, in Chile. And it, 20, it was in 2010 I was over in Po, France, and that's when I realized I was neglecting my dream, which what my dream was to come live here in Europe and to learn the Basque language. And that's when I said, Esther, you need to fulfill your dreams. And that's when I did that. So I started learning Basque, the Euskera language, right then and there as soon as I returned back. And then that's when I set the goal. When I turn 40, if nothing's holding me back in the States, like I'm not married, I don't have children, it's just me, myself, and I. Yes, I have my parents there. I have my brother and I have my nieces and my sister-in-law, but I also have to live my own life, even though they're, they're like, how can you leave? You know, and especially as parents that, you know, they have an ideal, they're very, you know, old world country. And, you know, as la hija and you're, you know, soltera, you're single, you can't leave home, stay home. And 
For them, it's been really hard. Even when I moved to Boise, they weren't happy. Like, how could you leave us? And coming to Europe for them is going backwards because they left Europe to go to the United States, the country of opportunity. So for them, it's backwards. So that's how that took me into Boise, Pelota Vasca. But Pelota Vasca is what has opened many doors also. So, yeah, which takes me now to I'm still teaching. I just finished year 23. But I'm teaching now English in Spain, living in France and teaching in Spain. And then I also two years ago, well, even earlier than that, probably about four or five years ago, when I moved here is when I discovered there was this online world of entrepreneurship. I didn't really realize it. As a teacher, I'm really tech savvy, have always used tech applications. But then all of a sudden I had more time here than I did in the States because in the States, I just was way more just busy, busy, had a lot more things between playing a lot more sports because the United States offers a lot of community sports. So I was really active with that. And then just more social activities. And here I was like, you know, I've hit an age. I'm just going to read calm, you know? And I realized there's like this world, there's teachers online. I didn't realize like you can run up your own business online. And that's when I started I wasted way too many years. I wish I would have started earlier, but that's what I'm currently doing. I have trying to do two businesses plus teach full time, which is one is for helping the English speaking diaspora, which could be in the States, England, Australia, anybody who has these Basque roots or non-Basque roots, but want to learn the Basque language, help to connect them with the language. And then also what I've noticed is in this English speaking world, teachers are there's many that are already doing entrepreneurial jobs, side hustles, or full-time jobs on the side, either with TPT stores or painting or sports, you know, like yoga, running things. They're doing a lot of different things. But what I noticed is the Spanish-speaking community isn't. And I'd really like to, you know, embark on that. Like, I'd love to help the Spanish-speaking teachers become entrepreneurs. Like, hey, don't you want maybe a little extra money on the side to travel, to afford the things that you want, to have a little bit more of that freedom? So that's what I'm doing. And that one's a more of a research, still doing a lot of market research, looking for, you know, my first beta students, doing a lot of the marketing of it now. But that because that one's new. But then the Basque one, I already have it established. So that's what I'm doing. Plus podcasting, two podcasts. I've got the immigrant all around, which I hope you will be my guest soon. Yeah, yeah. So I've got the immigrant all around. And then I also have teach, launch, create. So got two podcasts, plus all of that. So busy girl. I, I'm busy, but I love it because you sound very passionate about all the things that you're doing. And I, I yeah. really hope it translates into a recording and to people who are listening to this, how much passion you're putting behind everything. And my usual next question is, how did you get here? But you got here through a very winding road. Like part of me is still processing how Europe in the U.S. is in Boise, Idaho. I never yeah. expected that. So now I'll have to add it to my list of places to go because I want to see that from done. Well, if you if I recommend, I would recommend next year because of COVID, we have we have a Basque festival in Boise every year. It's called San Ignacio and it's always the last weekend of July. But every five years we have a big one and it's called Hayaldi. And it's J-A-I-A-L-D-I, Hayaldi, which high means festival in Basque. And it's every five years. And it started in the year 1987. And that one, I mean, for 
all of us locals, it's overwhelming because it's so huge, but it attracts over 30,000 plus people from around the world come for this festival. And I would recommend that like for anyone, for you, Alex, like if you wanted to discover Boise, not only just the Basque Festival, but like in the, you know, around Boise, because you've got Yellowstone that isn't too far away. I mean, yes, it's far away, but in reality, compared to the size of the United States, Yellowstone is there from Boise. You can go to California you've got whitewater rafting. So next year, because it was supposed to be in 2020, but it's been postponed to 2022. So invitation, go to Boise next year. It sounds amazing. And I never would have thought to go to Boise, Idaho, but now it sounds like I have to. It sounds yes. like a must-see. Yes, yes, Amazing. Yes. So in, during this entire journey that you have been through, do you have any teachers that, because you had a formal education as a teacher, mm-hmm. and but even uh, did you have mentors, did you have influences, people like who marked you, and when you're doing something, you're teaching or you're podcasting or you're playing sports, that you hear in the back of your head, like, whose advice like stuck with you or maybe whose words of rejection like stuck with you that can also happen like do you have people like that in your life yeah I think for me the number one you know mentors in my life have always been my parents you know to watch two people that they came for different reasons they they actually met in the United States and they're from different areas and to watch as a little girl, because you become aware of life pretty quick as a little kid when you're watching. But also, as soon as I started learning English, you know, once I hit school five years old, my parents would always then say, tu habla, tu habla, you speak, you speak. So they put a lot of pressure on me. They were, I'm really reserved. Like people are like, you're not reserved. I go, actually, I am. Like, if someone talks to me, I'm really talkative. I feel like I have a lot to offer to a conversation, but I'm not also the go-getter and I don't need the limelight. Wait, I don't need the limelight. And so my parents would, you know, tu habla, tu habla, because your English is much better. They're, they're going to understand you. So I grew up always like being there to help them, but also it's a lot of pressure for a little kid, you know, and, but then also I grew up watching them and seeing everything we went through, like the, how poor we were. Like, I remember what we went through, you know, I don't know if my brother remembers it as much as I do, but I do, but to watch what they've done, what they've suffered, how many jobs they were dealing, which like they were working at one time, my dad, you know, and I was just like, how did they do that? And humbly never, ever tooting their own horn. Never, ever like, look at, no, very just, they know this is life for, you know, they don't care what anyone else is doing. They might comment on it, but to them, it's always about just take care of yourself. Just worry about you, hard work for yourself and life's going to give back. So those are my number one mentors and in everything from money management, you know, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't know how to handle money and how to, you know, because I compare what I was earning in the United States. And this is where my dad is correct. What you earn in the United States as a teacher compared to what you earn here in Europe is <laughs> not even not even close. So you have to have a good mindset and you have to really understand finances and to be able to live like how I do. Because otherwise it's a big like eye opener, like, whoa, what a drastic change. But then as far as my formal education, I've had several teachers that I feel have impacted me. Like I've been fortunate. I've liked all my teachers. Some of them haven't been the best, but I've always respected, I've respected every single one of them. But like my biology teacher in the ninth grade was, you know, he pushed us hard and he was 
he pushed us really hard because for me, school was always easy and I always liked science, but that year it was like really challenging and I had to study. And my dad always said, you are like a lazy, like you don't even study. You just learn it quickly. You know, whereas my brother, he's smart also, but he's the smart that has to work a little bit more. And so that year, ninth grade, it was like, oh, I have to work. Oh man. And so I really, that impacted me because it taught me like, you got to work to earn things. Like it shouldn't be easy. Nothing should be easy. You should have to work on it, you know, a little bit. And then my math teacher in high school, and I'm trying to think, I think it was for trigonometry. He was excellent. And what I really liked about him was how genuine he was. He always told us he wasn't the smartest guy. He said he barely passed by high school and college. But what he discovered was he enjoyed math and he was able to really simplify the process so that we all understood it. And to me, that's exactly what really like would sit in the back of my mind and always, I always want to simplify everything I teach my students because I've had professors in university that use these big words and they talk in big lingo and it's like, talk normal, like talk in the way that everyone in society talks. And even with my parents, I'll never remember what we were doing, but we had to go meet with someone like for legal papers. I don't maybe about the farm or something. And I went with them and I was older and they started using legal terminology. Here I am. I don't understand. And my dad's like, can you repeat that again? And the lady looks at him and is like, oh, do you need an, an interpreter? And that's when, of course, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, no, my dad doesn't need an interpreter, but can you use terminology that's common vocabulary? Because I don't even understand that. And you're using professional speak for your profession, not for someone that's not in your profession. And so to me, why do people talk down to others? Why did that's always been impactful to me? Like the teachers that always talk to high school kids as humans. And as a teacher, when I became a teacher in an area where, like I said earlier, we have a lot of migrants. So we also have a lot of gangs happening. But as a teacher, to me, I always treated each single kid. I don't care if, what color you are. I don't care if you're purple, blue, black or white. I treat the behavior. And my students recognize that, you know, and if I would see some of, you know, the Mexican kids that would be with their pants down and I would say it to them in Spanish, I'd be like, hey, tú, levanta esos pantalones que te voy a llamar a la abuela. And they'd be like, no, 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 you know, don't call my grandma. I'm like, well, I'm gonna. Or I had a different, I could talk to them different where other teachers couldn't because they were afraid for whatever reasons. I'm like, but they're a human being. You're afraid of what? Because of the way they dress or their behavior or they're always in trouble but treat them as a human. And these same kids, yeah, they were troublemakers. But when we would go to assemblies and if they were doing something naughty and I would always go sit by them because teachers, we would have to sit by them. So I'd go sit in their little area where they all sat together, but I'd sit kind of in the middle where I could watch. And what they told me, they always said, why don't you become an administrator teacher? You know, Esther or Miss Saganda, because we use the titles there. And I'm like, why would I become an administrator? I like teaching. And they're like, because you're good at not judging us. You judge us for what we do wrong. And I go, well, duh. That's exactly what every single one of us should do. And they they open my eyes. They're like, yeah, but that's not how we're treated. And I'm like, really? That's That broke my heart. Because I'm like, 
no one should judge, you know, that this is, you know, I was a young teacher and I'm like, wow, like they're judging you because of the skin, your skin color. No, judge the behavior, you know, and that's what these kids noticed that if a white kid was doing them, you know, being naughty, I was on them. <laughs> I wasn't just on them because they look different. So those are things that have impacted me the most are teachers that have treated every single one of us equally. No one's been ju judged on how they speak. They speak differently. They look different. They act different. And when I embarked on, you know, when I became a student teacher, I had powerful mentor teachers, which were very supportive, you know, very helpful. And then I became a, you know, a mentor teacher myself to many new teachers. And that's what I always wanted to empower them, empower them to be their best self. And they're always scared. You're always scared. It's my first classroom. And it's like, I'm here for you. I'm not going to let you fall, but I'm going to let you grow your wings. You know, I'm here to support you. And I want you to try anything and everything. It's my classroom. But as soon as someone walks into my classroom, it's now yours, you know, because a lot of teachers, which also blew my mind, a lot of teachers don't want student teachers because it's their classroom. And it's like, whoa, but we all went through that. Why wouldn't you open your doors to someone else to learn? And I've had so many through the years and it's been wonderful. And that's, I hope I help them feel what I always felt. And then in entrepreneurship and in podcasting, I've had some, you know, big other, some big gurus and some not even gurus for podcasting. I went after, you know, when I was trying to figure out podcasting, there was Pat Flynn, who I really liked because I started listening to his podcast and I really, that's a lot of business. I didn't know anything about affiliate. A lot, I learned a lot of the vocabulary, vocabulary that's really particular to not only podcasting, but to entrepreneurship. And you have to learn this new lingo, you know? And so I learned it through him. And then when I was like, oh, I want a podcast. Well, how do I do it? It's more than just a microphone. Yes, I can grab a microphone and talk. And so he was my mentor, you know, and that's why I listened to him because of his podcast. So, and I really like how he does things. And I ended up buying, you know, his course and it really helps me to, he does office hours weekly. So if I ever want to go listen and just get more inspired and see how he does, how he runs like probably a multi-million, you know, empire, I don't know how much money he makes. And I don't, I don't care that to me, money doesn't matter. It's, what how he makes me feel and how he treats others and what i notice is he's so professional but he's so down to earth like he's not above us he's just like us and he's always like i remember when i started he goes back to his days and makes it real so those are some of the people that have really empowered me and i think that's i look i look for those simple people the people who treat everyone equal not these big gurus that are gonna they they know they're good which I commend them, but they also are above us, you know, and. Hey friend, it's me, Alex. Interrupt this conversation super quickly to remind you that in order to have the optimal podcast experience, like being able to enjoy all the links in the show notes, you should subscribe to the show. It really helps us like the show makers, podcasters, but it also helps you because it improves the algorithm of the app. So your suggestions will be more tailored to what you want which is pretty nice. Also, if you want to support this show, you can follow us on social media. All the links are in the bottom. And we also have a buy me a coffee, which really helps pay for the hosting for this show. And it also buys me coffee because I love coffee. Anyways, I'll stop talking now and let you go back to your conversation with Esther Siganda. 
that sounds so deep i've loved so many things that you have said like not judging people on their actions not by how they look it sounds so basic but it sounds like but it's hard it's something that a lot of people don't do they go like oh you look this way you have i'm gonna reduce you to the lowest common denominator that i know for people who look like you and i'm gonna start from there instead of being like okay let's start from scratch let's start from how you're talking to me, how are you behaving? Yeah, I, I love what you said about um, the language that we're using. I was listening to a podcast the other day about how there are a lot of legal issues people could solve on their own if it wasn't for the legal lingo that yeah. people are using. Like, why are you explaining it this way? Is it necessary to use all these technical words that I don't understand? And yeah. we say in Ecuador, um, dímelo en cristiano. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, but it's simple. Like, tell Tell me, explain it to me in the language of the Christians, and then I'll understand it. Yeah. And I think there's also, in relation to that, to judging people and to language, when you take an English test, or as far as I know in the U.S. or how my English education was, you were smart if you aced English, but asked very specific English. Like, I learned British English when I was little, so, and I thought, like, okay, why would I call it biscuits if it's natural for me to call it cookies? But if I wrote cookies, it was wrong because it's biscuits. I'm like, because we're doing British, yeah. How how is my ability to speak British English correlate in any way to how smart I am? Yeah, and that applies to creative education too. That you people think like, okay, because you don't ace this test, or you don't have this uh, intelligences that we have recognized as the useful intelligences, you're not smart. So yeah. we box kids or even even very young kids is the age of three and four we box them in because they're creative you're not smart yeah and and that's very sad because extremely because then as creative people we generally build with this or we uh, we grow up with this rejection for school with this environment that made us feel dumb and that's when teachers like you come in and flip it all around and be like oh you're not seeing me just as the dumb creative kid. You're seeing me as the kid that is showing up at a space and judging me from there. So I commend you for that. You're like, yeah. you probably changed the, the way those kids saw a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope so. Cause to me, I'm their key, you know, and one of the, one of my vice principals also taught me, you know, especially in Moses Lake, I had, it was a four period day. So I taught three classes and one was prep, but these classes were jam-packed, almost near 40 kids. We'll do the math, 40 times three, you're nearing almost 120 kids a day that you're impacting. So when I look at 23 years, I've taught over 2,000 kids. I've taught a lot of kids. That's a lot of humans to impact. And everybody has a unique story. Every single one of us has a unique story and a background that you never know. And... My principal taught me when I was student, it wasn't when I was student teaching, it was my first year teaching. And he told me, I'm going to give you a task. And he goes, and I think you're up for it. He said, I'm like, okay, what is it? He goes, try to use every kid's name once during your 90 minutes. Every kid must hear their name at least once in that 90 minutes. If it's just saying, hi, Alex, or hey, Alex, can you go next? You use their name. And to me, to this day, that is so important that I use every kid's name and every kid gets called on. And then the kid that crawls in there, you know, they're uncomfortable. But guess what? They have to learn that because in life, you're going to have to defend yourself at one point. And I see them crawl 
But, and they're like, but I don't know. But what if you did know? What if you did know? Just answer. Because I'm not going to let them <laughs> laugh at you because they're going to get squashed right away. If anyone dares laugh, you know, to me, every single one of my kids will always be protected. And like you said, the creatives even more so, because to me, it's an area that I don't necessarily understand as well, because I'm not, I don't consider myself very artistic, but at the same time, I am creative. I've always said, I'm really creative here. I just don't necessarily know how to get it out. And others know how to get it out. So I think every single one of us has that potential to be creative and unique. So, yeah. That's so true. Everybody has the potential to be creative. It's just that we have to find it in you're creative if you can paint or you're creative if you can draw. You're creative if you can do graphic designing stuff, but everybody's creative. They have a level of creativity that others don't have. Like I am a creative professional, but don't ask me to cook. I, I can't. I, I, I can't. I can follow a recipe. I cannot come up with one. My younger sister, on the other hand, she can just whip out something out of nowhere. Yeah. And she cannot draw to save her life. Uh, maybe. Depends on taste. I don't know. It's subjective. <laughs> um, but th she has that ability. My older sister as well. They're amazing bakers. I cannot bake a cake. So, like I, I, I can use a box cake, I guess. Um, but it's it's that. It's that. It's about giving them an outlet and the recognition. That is, I think that's so important to give everybody recognition it's that you're a person. Exactly. You're human. You're, you're not just a number. You're a unique human being who has a name. And is capable. capable. And it's everyone's capable. capable. That's, that's so lovely. And you mentioned that you're also doing an online, the, you bought an online course from Pat Flynn. Mm -hmm. How how do you see that, it, it, being able to buy courses like that and teachers educated online, like you said before, how do you think that will impact education in the future? Because now we are, you, you also mentioned like the mentor teaching program, which is like face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. but we are achieving, yeah, getting to a place in which those are more balanced. It's no longer... You have to fit into this school scheme that we have into the syllabus. Yeah. You can go out to the internet and look for something that works for you. Yeah. I am a person, for example, that needs formal education. I need the structure. I need the pressure of deadlines. I need the feedback. But there are other people who learn beautifully just with YouTube videos and experimenting by themselves, self-taught people. Yeah. So as a teacher, how do you think that will change and grow and move on forward in the future, this combination of digital and personal? Well, and I think it goes to what I said, everyone learns differently. And I've had many students over the years that, you know, every, every school system around the world is different. And in the United States, it depends where you're at, how you like, what are the percentages of what their grades are? Like, for example, you might put an emphasis like 50% of their grade is homework. Well, imagine you have a kid and I've had several of them. They refuse to do homework. They don't care to do homework. And they, maybe some of them just read books. Some of them, I don't know what they're doing. But what, what I do realize is when they come to class, they don't do any homework. But when it comes to exams, they perform and they ace the exams. But then when you get that grade average, instead of getting an A, they get a C. Well, a C is average. If you think about it, it's an average grade. So then I got to talk to the parent. How's my child doing? And what I can tell them is they're lazy. They could easily do the homework, but what I tell the parent is this, I don't worry about them because one thing is they've shown me over and over that they know the material, that they're capable of learning. The fact is they don't want to do the homework. And to me, what shows that shows is some of these kids, they don't care. And what they realize is 
it's a stepping stone that schools make you do in order to pass high school. But in reality, they don't need it for the real world because they know how to get things done. They've showed it to me on their results and exam. So those are the kids I tell the parents, I go, I know you're worried because they're not getting the right grade for a scholarship, whatever. But as far as will they be ready for real world, the real world? Yes, they will be. And I don't worry about them. And most of them I haven't. And that's what I, as a teacher, you see every kid, some of them are motivated by their grades and some of them aren't. They don't care about the grade because they realize this grade is only important for certain things. I don't necessarily need that grade to do what I'm going to be doing afterwards. And I can do that, you know, and they're able to learn. And so when I started seeing more and more, like even in schools in the States offering um, online like alternatives, you know, there's a lot of online alternatives, you know, sometimes I would recommend if I had students and I would talk to the student and to the parents and I'm like, maybe that would be a good avenue for them because they're not doing well in the social aspect of school. And some students don't. And some of the kids would do that. They would take that and they would excel and they would cruise through it because at the same time in high school, like you said, I like the structure of it and some kids really need it, especially because maybe they're capable, but they're also capable of kind of spinning their wheels on their own. You know, they don't, oh, they, they need someone to be on top of them. They need accountability, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we both are like <laughs> nodding our head. <laughs> yeah. That's me. It's like, I will like dive deep into the, like, go find something that's interesting, go for a deep dive into the topic and then, and then realize I, I surfaced three years later being like, where am I? What, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah. I just wasted time. Wait, wait. I didn't waste time. I learned a lot, but I learned a lot. But I, you can only like you don't need to know every single thing about how paper is made. Exactly. You, you you can stay you can stay in one spot and be like, okay, I know what I need to know. I don't have that self control to be like, okay, I know enough. I have other things to do. I will go deep into the rabbit hole and submerge like Alice in Wonderland, being like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah I, I had an adventure it was really fun but damn it I have to make up for it now yeah I'm obsessive that way too I need to know the intricate details of how everything works like just being like oh yeah that's okay no no I need to know <laughs> and I do it special like um when there was this tv show I think it was HBO The Borgias I got super obsessed with them I was like I need to go on Wikipedia and to need to read everything I can about this family and need to like dive into their secrets and then I read a book about them I don't need to know that it's just no. like my interest was picked in that moment. Yeah. And I love what you said about talking to the parents and that everybody has different learning capabilities. Everybody, we're all very neurodiverse. Even if you don't have a diagnosis, we all learn in different ways. Some learn better in a classroom through a lecture. Others learn better through exercises, through problem solving. Like the teach, uh, like learn one, teach one method apparently is also very popular. But I think something that's very neglected is the fact that we all have different socioeconomical situations yeah and I experienced that as an adult when I was in university in the sense that my teachers in graphic design told me like yeah I you are not putting out enough work as your other classmates and I'm like okay am I meeting my deadlines and I'm meeting my requirements and they're like yeah but everybody else is doing more and I'm like yeah because I am older than them so I started university when I was 26 and I said like okay I'm older than them let's start there I have a family who lives here, like my, my parents and my sister live here, 
And sometimes they need me just like they needed you for to do something. They were like, yeah, we have to do this call in English. Like, could you help us? Your English is much better than ours. Can you help us with that? I'm like, mm -hmm. of course. So there. Then I'm also running my own business, working like between 30 and 40 hours a week. And I have a life. So I can, my, this is not my only focus. This is my priority, but it's not my only focus. Yeah. Meanwhile, my classmates only focus on this. Yeah. It's then, their one job. It's their one job. And then they say, yeah, yeah but that's a cop out. That's an excuse. It should be your one job. And I'm like, not everybody can do that. No. Some kids in school, they cannot focus on homework because their parents both work and they have to take care of younger siblings yeah. or they need to work to help their family or they have a sick parent or they have other like sports or they have other priorities. Yeah. And having these rigid school systems and rigid educational systems doesn't allow for that. Maybe somebody will be, I will do my math lecture online while my siblings are sleeping, while they're taking a nap, then I'll pick up on what I left off. I think yeah. that's the beauty of the digital part, that it allows this flexibility. Yeah, it allows the flexibility. And it, like you said, everybody, like you were meeting your deadlines, you were getting everything done. You were basically doing the bare minimum and you were doing everything that was needed. So why do you need to do more? If you were already putting in more into something else. And a lot of times, you know, with students and something I think the United States actually does do a really good job of is teaching everybody to be really well-rounded. So you shouldn't just be a student. You should be volunteering on the side. Where's your side job? You should have a job. Are you doing sports? Are you doing the band? Are you on the play? They're always teaching you build your curriculum as soon as you 14, start building it, start building it. And so these kids are doing so much But then also teachers need to remember that, that they are doing so much because that's what the system is teaching them to do. So we're creating these really well-rounded creatures. You know, these students are, they're going to be really well-rounded, not all of them, but a lot of them. But then we're on top of them, like, you know, to meet those deadlines and stuff. And so that's the thing is most of the kids that know, you know, You, I think teachers don't take the time to get to know their kids and know what they're capable. And then, you know, the hard part is those kids that are doing nothing and then you have no support from home to even understand what's going on. And that's where I always worry is this kid, how am I going to help them? And they're really going, you know, down, 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 down. They don't give you much and the parents never show up for anything. So then it's like, how can I help? How can I, you know, and, but there's obviously... It's like, give me a lifeline. I will pull you out, but I need, like, I'm reaching Something. out, but I need to hold on to me. Yeah. And if I don't know anything, how can I help you? So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's not talked about enough how hard it is to be a teacher and the requirements that are needed to be a teacher. We always go like, oh, if you're a teacher, like, I hate that idea of those who cannot do teach. Oh, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Because it may it makes no sense. Like maybe it's somebody who like you doesn't want to be on the limelight that says like I find more fulfillment and passion from helping somebody else than I do from being the star myself. And that is yeah. also very, very valuable and the impact that a teacher can have. Yeah. Maybe you just allowing somebody to like putting attention on them, be like, Hey, um, Pepito. Hey, Pepito, yeah. what are you doing today? Maybe those are the little things that say like, hey, maybe I can do this. Maybe I am not this person that I've been labeled on and I can continue on this path. And it's opening avenues that maybe themselves they didn't know they have. Yeah. In, in the podcast we have talked about before how we're 
switching from this hierarchical idea of teaching, which the teacher is on top and everybody else on the bottom, mm-hmm. to a more guide, a teacher being a guide, exposing the children to or young people or whoever is learning. Because mm-hmm. you can learn, you can have a teacher at any age, really, yeah. to new avenues and new ideas and be like, hey, you're doing it, you're podcasting in this way. How about you try podcasting in this other way and then you see if it fits better? Yeah. Just like opening minds to that. Yeah. Getting them to be critical thinkers, you know, like not everything is handed to them. You know, here, just follow the cookie cutter. No, 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 no. You have to learn to think and take what they learn and apply it. And I think that's, you know, that mentorship is where then the teacher's becoming more the guide, the mentor and getting the students to think to do, to act, you know, not me just telling you, yep, just do that. Just put it down. No, no, no. You figure it out. So I love that you say that. And there is this uh, toy designer called Cass Holman, who I personally am obsessed with. And she designs toys. And one of them was this really weird thing. It was had a nucleus and then like three arms and the arms had magnets. And when she was proposing this toy to the toy companies, they were like, okay, they're white. Are they going to have colors? And she's like, no, they don't need to have colors. Why, why, why is it color? Why would they need to have colors? It's like, yeah, to make it easier for the kids to know where the magnets are. She's like, they don't need help knowing where the magnets are. They will see like which ones match and which ones don't match. It's like, why are you trying to spoon feed them yeah, the yeah. game when the game is whatever they want it to be? It's play. It's just allowing them to explore and see and test out. Yeah, create their own. Yeah, create their own. Because that's what she says. That play is, it's not just let's play a game that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's play. It's fluid. It's whatever they want it to be. And sounds like you're a teacher that creates that for them, just providing the tools and then say like, okay, what are you going to do with them? Yeah. And also telling them, I know you can amaze me. I am waiting here excited to see you amaze me. Yeah. And that's what I see lacking more and more, you know, because now kids, as soon as they're born, as soon as they're able to hold anything, mom and dad are putting phones in their hands or putting a tablet in their hand. And to me, I'm really fortunate for growing up on a farm, you know, because many times we had to create everything to play with. You know, we had a few toys, not many, you know, and um, but the rest of it, we created, we built, we did everything. We were out there in my dad's shop. What can we create? What can we build? And any little thing we found, we made it a toy. And that's what kids are not doing nowadays is they're not designing their own things or not, you know, like you said, the three arms will let the kid create what they want out of this toy. And, and I think it, I think it has to do with the idea that parents don't want their kids to be bored because if they're bored, they misbehave. Yeah. So like, just give them something to entertain them. But just let them be bored. If they're bored, like, make, like creativity comes from boredom. Yes, they'll find a way to have fun. Yeah, just like don't don't put them again. Don't put a kid in the lowest common denominator. It's like kids are when they're bored, they're a nightmare. Be like, yeah, expect more. Like to see what they yeah. can do and just inspire them that way. Yeah, and that's a. I think what you just yeah, and what you just said is key. Like as a parent, you're given the phone to so that they don't misbehave or because they're bored. Well, then what you tell them is, if you're bored, then what can you find to help that? Like to fix your solution. You have a problem, so fix it. But the phone's not going to fix it. You know, it's almost like a band aid that covers up something. What it's doing is giving you this false thing, but then the kid's not being creative. They're not using this to, 
you know, create something new and figure something out. They're not figuring out the solution to their boredom and they need to do that. Yeah. And um, I was talking to one of my cousins the other day and he is, um, he has a stepson. He has like a baby who is less than one, a stepson who is six or seven now. I'm not sure. And he was talking like, yeah, it's like the internet, man. It's so hard. It gets into your brains. And I'm like, the internet is not the problem. The problem is what they're doing on the internet. So get involved. It's like, yeah, but they're just like, they don't have creative ideas anymore. And I'm like, that's your job, really. If you see your kid likes animals, let's say it's interested in animals, then show them YouTube videos about animals. Show Like take them to the zoo, take them to a farm, take them to a supermarket and let them see the fish in the, in the, in the fish aisle. Yeah. Just all those things. It's like nurture that creativity. And well, I think sometimes growing, they put yeah. them on teachers, like teachers should be doing that. It's like, everybody's a teacher. Every Everybody. single person that enters somebody else's life is a teacher, is teaching something. Yeah. Maybe not a good thing, who knows, exactly. but it's teaching something. Yep. And what you just said, you know, especially you're young, you know, put 20 more, you know, I'm 47, but so I've grown up without internet. I've seen the birth of the internet and the use of, you know, our first email, etc. I remember that. And as a teacher, then I've seen the evolution of how computers have been introduced. And so I've been through both phases, you know, I'm right there in that middle age. And when I started discovering more and more different resources online to use in the classroom, because that's what we got to recognize, the internet is a tool. The internet itself by itself isn't going to teach you anything. You have to know how to use the internet. And then the internet can teach you many things because it's another teacher. It's another tool. And it's another tool that we can use in the classroom. And I'll for, never forget, it's got to be probably around 2007. So when technology is now, depending on where you're at, it's rampant. You know, a lot of people have access to it, but it depended where you were. And when I went from Moses Lake to Boise, where I was going from a school that was newly renovated. We had, you know, whiteboards in every classroom that where I'm teaching in Spain, some classrooms still have chalkboards. Like, oh my gosh, you know, that's, it's the reality. Not everybody has the same equal access to everything. And that's what we need to remember that, that those of us who do, we are fortunate. And so when I went from one school to the other, and all of a sudden I was like, wait, I'm using a chalkboard? oh, there's a chalkboard in this room and then I've got it replaced. And then I wanted my students to be able to use their phones in the classroom. Oh, no, no, that, no, that's, no, you can't do that. I'm like, but there's a good use. Let me explain, explain why. No, no, no. Now with time, I was able to allow that, but I was like, I have some great resources that my students can use interactive with others to learn the vocabulary, to learn the grammar. But the unknown was scary, and there were many administrators and teachers who weren't ready to embrace it because the internet was bad. The internet doesn't teach you anything. Well, no, alone it doesn't, and you can go down that rabbit hole. But if you guide them and help them and show them, like, what's good use of a phone and what's the improper use of a phone, which parents also need to be taking care of that with their own children, when do you use a phone, what's it used for, then guess what? We are all educating society on what's the proper use of this phone. So it's a interesting. I love, I love that. And I think that's a, such a nice note to end mm -hmm. this, this episode on, on how 
we are seeing sometimes the internet as this devil. It's like, oh, the internet's the devil. It's how you use it. It's a tool. It by itself will do nothing. Mm-hmm. But you, you have to use it. And remember that it's a privilege. It truly is a privilege. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Esther, for this amazing talk. I think it's very inspirational, and I, at least to me, and I know that other people listening to it will feel the exact same way. So is there anything you want to promote now that we're at the end of the episode? It can be your own work. It can be your podcast. It can be a book, a movie, whatever you want. Well, from promotion, anything and everything. Um, Well, first, if you're an immigrant and listening to this, you know, my podcast is a baby podcast, you know, it's only on episode four, you know, and so I'm going to kickstart that up. I've kind of put it on hold during the school year because I wanted, it's going to be all interviews. And as Alex knows, interviews take time. It takes not only your time, but you're taking the time of someone else. So for me, I'm going to be interviewing immigrants because to me, it's important to first have the conversation with immigrants, what they've gone through, but it's also, I want to preserve their voices, their voices for the future, for their family. And that's one of the key things with that one. It's called The Immigrant All Around. My newest podcast, which I launched in April, is called Teach, Launch, Create, which is helping you to basically how can you teach what you love, what you're passionate about to launch a business and to create an impact on those around you, like create impact on your family, on your friends, on the community, on the world. And that's and I love the when you shorten it, it's called TLC. So for me, it's like my TLC, my tender, loving care I send out into the world. And it's not about just all like we've talked about. And I think you understand what I'm about. It's not about throwing you the big words. What's everyone's talking about? I want to simplify it. And it's also I'm building a strong foundation, starting with the mind, everything from with the foundation you can become stronger, more powerful, more creative, etc. But that's the key to me is building that foundation. And then online, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Basque in Languages, Basque as in the culture, B-A-S-Q-U-E, Basque in Languages, or at Esther.Siganda. And you can find me at those places or my website, EstherSiganda.com. So I'm around. (laughs) You're you're on all the things. You're on all the things. Well, thank you so much, Esther. And I really hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. What an episode, you guys. I mean, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that you can find the Basque country in Boise, Idaho. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm I, I'm shocked. I, I didn't expect that. I'm still processing it, as you can clearly tell. It's been a few weeks since we recorded this episode. Um, yeah, I, I think Esther is great. I think we touched so many points, important points from discrimination to the impact of a teacher to the importance of education. It really... It, it was a great episode. I'm so grateful to have had her on the show. And you'll find links to everything she's doing. She's on all the things. She's on all the socials. Um, her two podcasts and everything. You will find it on the show notes. And as we come to the end of the show, I want to thank you for joining me on another episode and giving me your time. I hope you're enjoying these conversations and please subscribe to the show and give us a review or give us any feedback. You can reach out to us on social media as well. All the links are in the show notes to let us know if you have questions you would like to ask creatives, what would you would like to learn? If you have somebody to recommend, please let us know. I am here to make something great for you. That said, again, thank you and hope to be again in your ears next week. Keep learning and stay curious. Bye.